The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Maddie Orlando. And I'm Lauren Orlando. As you probably guessed, we're sisters. And we're also co-hosts of the podcast, The Sister Diary. Every week, we let our listeners into real-life conversations like the ones that we have at home. We have an eight-year age gap, so we always have a different perspective on things, but that makes it pretty fun. We talk about navigating life, growing up on social media, and pretty much anything else that we find interesting. You can catch a new episode of The Sister Diary every Friday. Hey guys, it's Gobby, and welcome to What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. We got a little bit of a facelift. If you're new here, I'm Gobby. I'm the founder of What's Gobby Cooking, a best-selling author, and now a podcast host. What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild, which is the latest version of my podcast, is your one-stop shop for all your food and cooking questions. We'll be talking tips and tricks, how to store food, how to put together meals based on what's in your pantry, and more. I'm also going to be interviewing some incredible people and highlighting super cool small companies from the food world. So let's get right into it. This is What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. Hi, guys. Happy Monday. We are back from our little baby moon that we did last week and back in action, back to the construction zone. (laughs) Thank you for all of your feedback on the last couple podcasts. It was really fun to get into it with Thomas on the ins and outs of the What's Gobby Cooking business. There are a couple questions that I'll answer towards the end of this podcast that came in. But for the most part, everyone said we covered all of our bases. So if you think of something you want to know, you can always call into the podcast. You guys know I'm totally transparent. So I'm a phone call, DM, email away, whatever you want. But today I thought we would get into some questions because like questions outside of the business world, back to food, like where we started with what's Gobby cooking in quarantine, because there are a ton. So I'm going to try and power through as many of them as possible. I feel like as we head into this like odd holiday season we're going to have for Q4, we're going to cook a lot of food. So let's make it as special as we can. And while we transition into the seasons, I'm going to answer some questions. Here we go. Hi, Gabby. This is Leslie, and I'm calling from Franklin, Tennessee, and I have a question and a request. My question is the pickled onions that you had on your in your book, how long can they stay on the counter, or do they need to go in the refrigerator? And my request is, can you have your parents on as guests? I think that it would be great to hear the people that raised you talk, you, talk with you on your podcast. Thanks. Hi, Leslie. Great question and comment. First, let's talk about pickled onions. So pickled onions, when you make them, you should cool them to room temperature for about 20 to 30 minutes, cover them and then pop them right in the fridge. They will last in the fridge for like upwards of three weeks. But let's be honest. I mean, we all will eat them before that most likely, but two to three weeks is really what's the norm for putting pickled onions in the fridge. But yes, definitely store in the fridge. Don't store on the counter. As far as having my mom and dad on, yes, 100%. We had my mom on the podcast a couple months ago to talk about like body image and how she raised me and my sister and all that kind of stuff. So if you want to listen to that, that is back I believe we did that in like April or May, maybe. But yes, I will have them on again. They're a wealth of knowledge in all sorts of different things. So stay tuned for that 
it's happening. Hey, Gabby, this is Katie from Boston. I had a question about storing spices. So we are moving, sadly, and we're moving in with my in-laws for a little bit while we save for a house and hopefully wait out the pandemic. <laughs> but I feel like we're going to have to store some of our food stuff, and that might include some spices. Um, they're only going to be stored probably for about six to eight months. Is that okay if they're in like a cool box altogether? What does that do sort of to their consistency and things like that? I'm just curious because some are kind of full and while we can bring probably some and, and things like that, I just know that it might just be easier to store them too. So I'd love to hear your answer. Uh, thanks so much and have a great day. Hi, Katie. Great question. Yes, you can store your spices. Six to eight months will be no problem. Typically, I would tell people that you really couldn't keep your spices or you shouldn't keep your spices more than one to two years. It's not that they're going to go bad. They're just going to lose their potency. So like if you have cinnamon and it's been in storage for eight months and then you don't use it for another eight months, you might want to use a little bit more. You should smell it, see how flavorful it is. When they start to get clumpy, like the red spices, paprika, chili powder, stuff like that, when they get clumpy, I usually just toss them because that's not great. But otherwise, I think you'll be fine. Or just do like an excessive amount of baking before you move and get rid of as many as possible. But you should be totally fine. One year is totally acceptable. Two years, fine. Hi, Gabby. My name is Jess. I'm calling from New Jersey. I have a question about mushrooms. I'm a vegetarian. I feel like a bad vegetarian because I don't really love mushrooms, aka I don't like them at all. So I know that you mentioned that you didn't always like mushrooms. And I was wondering what the number one recipe you would suggest for somebody who maybe isn't a fan of mushrooms, but like really wants to like them, which is me. So any advice you would give, that would be awesome. Thank you so much. Hi, Jess. You are in fact correct. I hated mushrooms until I got to culinary school. And I'm sure some people have heard this story before, but in like our second or third week of culinary school, our teacher was like, everyone's getting assigned a vegetable and you have to make something phenomenal with it. And she gave me mushrooms. And I was like, how dare you? Like, no. And she was like, suck it up, Gabby. If you want to make it in the food world, you're going to have to learn how to like mushrooms. So I think the key to mushrooms is a couple things. And by the way, you're not a bad vegetarian. My mom's a vegetarian and hates mushrooms. So everyone's got their things. Mushrooms need to be really cooked. I don't love a raw mushroom. I like really deeply caramelized mushrooms. So I put them in a cast iron or an all clad, plenty of fat, aka olive oil or butter, and saute the crap out of them. I'm going to add garlic towards the end. I'm going to add seasonings, definitely salt and pepper. They always benefit with a hint of lemon juice at the end. And really get that nice, like, golden, caramely color on them before you take them off. And then from there, you could do any number of things with them. You could fold them into a pasta. You could add them to mushrooms. You could put them on scrambled eggs into a risotto. If you go to whatscabbycooking.com, there's a really incredible mushroom carnitas tacos recipe, which is very interesting. Just like a phenomenal way to use mushrooms in a, you know, different sense. And then the recipe that got me to switch was the mushroom risotto on my website. It is phenomenal. You will not go wrong with it. It takes a little bit of time, but it's not super complicated. And like the earthiness from the mushrooms with the creaminess of the risotto is like truly 
perfection. So I think the the key, like just to recap, is to cook them, give them plenty of space, really caramelize them, season them properly. That's going to make them so they're not kind of chewy and rubbery. And then add them to something you love. If you love a soft scramble, have at it. I wish I could get my mom to love mushrooms. You're one step ahead of her, obviously. (laughs) Hi, Gabby. This is Lori calling from Thousand Oaks, California. I love the podcast. I love all your recipes. Um, You've really brought that cooking to my life and inspired me to cook. So thank you so much for that. I have a couple questions. I keep a little notepad by me while I'm cooking and I think, hmm, what would Gabby do? And I write down the questions. So I have a couple. The first is I have an electric stovetop and do you have any advice on cooking with an electric stovetop? I feel like it takes forever for my water to boil. Like I feel like I burn things easily. Like any advice about what like kind of pots and pans to use with it? My second question is um, I really like to make pasta salad and I like to you make a pasta, put it in the fridge and have it cool down before I add it to the other cold ingredients. But whenever I do that, my pasta always sticks together. Any way to prevent the like breaking of the pasta when as it cools? And then last, this one really stresses me out. How do you dispose of the oil or fat from like when you're cooking or browning meat? I usually just add it to a little bowl and then it sits on my counter for a while until I need to empty out the trash, but I mean, do you have a more glamorous way of doing it? Okay. Thank you. Oh, actually I have another question, but it's not cooking related. Can you share Stella's story, like how you got her and all that? Okay. Thank you. Hi, Lori. Great questions. I'm going to try and get through all of them. First, let's start with the electric stove. So they're all so different, electric, gas, whatever. I really feel like it's just a matter of getting in the hang of it. I will say when I have cooked on electric stoves in the past, if I turn it up to high, high heat, I tend to burn things. So it's really just kind of getting a feel for what that like medium high heat is. I would tend to stick to cast iron and like all clad or Le Creuset style pots and pans that are heavy duty and really spread the heat out evenly. I think that could be a huge game changer for you. I remember I had the pots and pans that I had through college and into my early 20s and you know, late 20s through culinary school. And when I would cook with them on an electric stove in one of my old apartments, nothing ever like caramelized properly. But when I stepped it up and just got like one nice all clad, it was kind of a game changer. And like I've said numerous times in the past, I am not promoting getting a fancy, like crazy giant set of pots and pans. You really just need one great pot and one great pan. And I think that will help immensely. Pasta salad. So I think Italians will probably like send me death threats by telling you this. But (laughs) here's the deal. If you're going to make pasta and you want to chill it before you add it to a pasta salad or something, I rinse it with a little water. Like if I'm not trying to add oil to it because there's going to be oil in the dressing or something like that, I will put the pasta in a colander, drain it, give it a quick rinse of water, which like kind of helps remove some of the starch and then doesn't stick together and then let it cool in the fridge and then do that again before tossing it with everything else with the pasta salad. Again, I apologize to any Italians who are like cursing my name right now. I love you. I promise I won't break my pasta before I like put it into boiling water anymore. That's all I have to say. (laughs) 
<laughs> Disposing of oil. Great question. So what I normally do is if I have like an empty bag of chips or something that is getting thrown away, I will let the oil cool, dump it into that, roll it up and then dispose of it. If it's bacon fat or something like that, I will reuse it to crisp up vegetables or roast something like that. I wish there was a more glamorous way or like a cool tool or something in the kitchen that I had, but I just use something that's about to go in the trash. Lastly, Stella, we rescued her right out of college. So Thomas is a year older than me. He moved down to Los Angeles. And when I finally graduated college a year later, I moved down and I really wanted a cat. And we went to the rescue center, like right by our house. And I went by myself and I looked at all the little cats, all the little kittens, because that's what they had at the time. And Stella was the least friendly of all of them. But she was so cute. And I really loved her like black coat with white paws. And eventually she warmed up to me and I put a deposit down on the spot and took her home a couple weeks later when she was old enough. But we rescued her. We're big fans of rescuing animals. That's what my family's done our entire lives. So that's how she came to be part of the What's Gobby Cooking family. And now she's a brat and still hates humans. So maybe I should have like picked up on that earlier. (laughs) Whoopsies. Hi, Gobby. This is Molly in Los Angeles. Thanks again for doing this podcast. I'm loving it. I had a question as I've been doing a lot more grilling now that we have such a heat wave in Los Angeles, and I'm sure you are going to be too with your kitchen reno. What pots or pans are best to use on a grill? I have beautiful Le Creuset that I'm too worried about ruining on the grill. So I wanted to see if you had any recommendations on potentially more affordable, different types of pots, pans, sizes that I can use for sauce making, sauteing, or frying on the grill. Thanks so much. Hi, Molly. Yes, 100%. Okay, so I've put my Le Creuset and my All Clad on the grill. I totally get that. It's a little scary. So here's what I've been doing when I'm trying to be a little bit more careful. I have one like large 10-inch cast iron skillet that I've been using for everything. Meats, sauces, vegetables, grilling fruits, you name it. If you go to the master list on What's Gobby Cooking, my favorite one is linked there. If you want to splurge, also get the Finex one, which is a little bit sexier with that cool handle. But that's it. Like it's not an expensive pan. You can use it for everything. You could bake in it. You could make a quiche in it. You could make cornbread in it. It really works on the grill. I love cast iron because it evenly distributes the heat. It is so heavy duty. There's a tutorial on the What's Gobby Cooking video section on how to clean and season your cast iron skillet so it lasts forever. Like you can get a $30 one, you can get a $70 one. I think there's some that are 90, but that you really shouldn't need to ever buy one ever again. Like if you take care of it properly, it'll last you forever. Just like a really good chef's knife. Hi, Gabby. New to your program, not new to your books and stuff, but new to podcasts and, and watching your Instagram. I'm loving it. I cannot conquer fajitas. I try. I did order your spice. Something's missing in my repertoire, and I love to cook. I've been cooking for 500 years, but just fajitas, the smoky, wonderful, yummy grilled flavor, I can't quite get there, and I love it. Please, please let me know if you can help me out, and then when I would follow you on that to find out what your answer was, how I get it and how I watch you. I'm not real tech savvy, but I'm on your website and I'm, I'm getting there. 
all my girls and my family love you, and it's fun being part of the show. So, fajitas, girlfriend, fajitas, thank you. And I did get your taco fajita spice, so yay for that. Hi. Oh, my gosh. You didn't give me your name, but thank you for calling in, and welcome to the podcast. Let's see, fajita. So, taco fajita, senorita, my seasoning for all things taco fajitas and basically Mexican food is great and incredible. I would say when I make fajitas and they actually taste like Don Antonio's fajitas, like when you're like, oh man, I can like picture myself in a restaurant. I feel like I'm talking about this a lot today, but it's when it's in a cast iron pan. Like I don't do it in a stainless steel or a ceramic pan or something like that. I think something about the cast iron gives it that extra flavor. And I also add a splash of water or something right before it's over to really like get that steamy deliciousness that you see when you're at the restaurants and they bring it out to you and it's like still billowing smoke from the stove or it's actually not smoke, it's steam. I think using a cast iron skillet, using a great fajita or taco mix would be great. That's it. And really let them char. Like if you notice when you get fajitas at restaurants or to go or something, they've got a great char on them. Like don't be afraid to let it get a little crispy on the edges, whether it's beef or chicken or vegetables, that's going to add even more flavor once it gets like a little bit of like, I don't want to say it's not burned, but like you just want it to have like a nice crispy layer. Does that make sense? Come over. You're more than welcome to come over and socially distance in my backyard and I'll make you fajitas anytime. Hi, Gabby. My name is Trisha. I live in Austin, Texas, and I love your podcast. You are so generous with all of your tips and recipes and information. And I had to get your new cookbook. It is gorgeous. The photos are breathtaking and I cannot wait to try all the recipes. Your caramelized onion and mushroom pizza is going to be first. And so I have a million questions about making homemade pizza. First of all, is there a pizza oven that you would recommend that's not too expensive? If I were to get one, is wood better for getting for a pizza oven or is gas okay? And then regarding flour, what does double zero flour add to a pizza crust that all purpose doesn't? When I've made dough from scratch, at times, it seems like the dough shrinks up when I try to stretch it out. And I was wondering, what, is, what does that mean? Like, do I need to let it rest more? Lastly, do you have any tips for getting the uncooked pizza off the pizza peel? My dough just always seems to stick. Thank you so much. And I look forward to your next podcast. Hi, Trisha. Oh, my gosh. This is my favorite subject ever. God, I love pizza. Okay, let's talk about pizza oven. So least expensive that I've ever cooked with is called an uni, O-O-N-I. Totally reasonably priced. You can do it outside. You can do it. I think it's gas. I don't think it's wood, but it's amazing. It gets super hot. It's phenomenal. A step above that would be the Breville Pizziolo, which is an indoor pizza oven, but gets really hot, gets up to 750 degrees, just plugs into your normal electrical outlet. It's amazing. We have one. We use it all the time. I couldn't have more incredible things to say about it. I think it's worthwhile investment if you are a big pizza eater and you like order in or you used to go out all the time. This will make pizzeria style pizza at home. If you want to splurge, we have a Fontana Forney pizza oven outside that we got. Like since we don't have a kitchen for the next couple months, we're cooking in it a lot. So it was definitely, it's not cheap, but it is definitely 
spectacular and you can make so much more than pizza in it because it's huge. Like you could do roast chickens, you could do turkeys, you could do lasagna. Thomas made cookies in it a couple of weeks ago. You just have to monitor the temperature. Those are my three suggestions as far as pizza ovens go. Okay, so Caputo Double Zero Flour. First of all, it's not easy to find in the regular grocery store. If you live in Los Angeles, Bay Cities and Italy both have it. Italy has other locations around the country. Typically, I order it from Amazon. I love it for pizza dough because one, it's more finely ground and two, it has a lower gluten content than most flours. So it just makes for the best pizza in my opinion. It's also what like every pizziolo has ever made when I've gone and like learned from them. Last thing, getting it off the peel. This is a point of contention in our house. I like to use a little bit of flour to put on the peel before I spread the pizza dough out and make sure it's not going to stick through the flour. Thomas prefers a cornmeal. Either way, it kind of burns off when it's in the oven hot enough. But either one of them, you need to put like a decent amount down so you can easily slide the pizza off the peel into the oven. One more thing, I find it's easier to work with a metal pizza peel than a wooden pizza peel. So there's one on my master list on my blog if you want to get the link for it, but a little flour or a little cornmeal just sprinkled down will help the pizza to not stick. All right, let's take a quick break from some of the questions to bring you some hot intel from Sonos. Sonos is one of those brands that's an integral part of the Wetscabi cooking team. We've been fans of for years, like honestly years. I can't even remember Thomas was working in the ad industry when he brought his first one home. We use it in various parts of our house, in various parts of our business. In case you don't know about Sonos, it is basically a sound system that you can piece together with multiple options depending on what you actually need. We've had it in our apartments, we've had it in our condos, and now we are literally integrating it into our redesign in the home renovation. I'm excited about the kitchen. He's excited about the speakers. While the house is under renovation, we've been all about the Sonos Move, which is a portable speaker that you can take anywhere you want. And while we're living in like the one bedroom that's allowed for me to be in right now, it has been our saving grace. And for those of you who are concerned, we left the Sonos Move at home last week while we were on our baby moon. We, in fact, did not. We brought Ramona with us. And yes, we have named her. She is Thomas's girlfriend. And she made the journey with us. You can use Sonos Move to stream music, listen to your favorite podcast, tune into the radio, hook it up to your TV. The possibilities are endless. You can just pick it up, move it room to room, switch it on Bluetooth when you take it out of the house, and you've got instant music or podcasts or whatever you want to listen to. Head to Sonos to learn more, and you can always DM Thomas with any questions you have. The man has read their website 75 billion times. All right, so the last couple questions I want to address are follow-up questions from the last few podcasts, and they were all sent to me via DM. So I'm just going to read you everyone's questions. The first one came from Ellen. She said, even though you don't private chef anymore, how did you or how do others set their price per hour, per meal, per person, et cetera? So for me, I always did it a flat day rate for a family. Like, so for four to six, and it really, it's just about naming your price. Like what makes you comfortable? If I'm in Los Angeles, so like, and I worked for some very fancy celebrities. So like I just charged them a little bit more because I know they had disposable income, but it really depends on what you need for that day. Like how many hours are you cooking? How many people are you feeding? Do you have to go to the grocery store multiple times? Like it kind of just depends what you think your day is worth. But in my opinion, it makes more sense to charge a flat day rate for something like that. And then if there's a party or something like that, there's a premium that goes on top of it. Full transparency here in Los Angeles, I think most private chefs, this was also a couple years ago, 
started out anywhere from like 200 to $400 a day. I think that's what it was. Okay, here is another question from Courtney. Here's a question for your podcast, Gabby. What is the best way for your followers to support you? I love your content and want to be supportive. I bought a cookbook and I love it and was hopeful that that supported you. After the podcast this week, it seems like the answer is no. Should we buy Williams Sonoma products, buy from sponsored posts? What's the best way to support you? Courtney, you are so sweet. All of it helps. Honestly, the cookbooks definitely help. It's important for sales just for my publisher to see how much I can move for like potential New York Times bestseller lists. Although usually that happens within the first week or two of a book coming out. The products at Williams Sonoma are great. Just going to my website is hugely helpful. Like all of it adds up in the end. Like anything's helpful. I'm so appreciative of everything everybody always does. Leaving comments on my website, on my Instagram posts, all that kind of stuff. It's just so major and I'm so appreciative of it. All right. That is a wrap. You guys know where to find me, how to find me, when to find me, basically all hours of the day because I don't sleep anymore ever since I'm pregnant. It's very weird. I'm up from like 2 to 4 a.m. So if I ever respond to your DMs at that time, don't think I'm crazy. It's just when I happen to be very productive. We will see you back here next week interviewing someone super cool I'm excited to introduce you to. But as always, if you have any questions, call them into the hotline and I will see you guys very soon. All right, that's it for today's What's Gobby Cooking in the Wild. Be sure to tune in for new episodes on Mondays. And if you have any questions you want answered, give us a call at 1-888-338-4429 and leave me a voicemail. Or if you know a super cool small company that you want to be highlighted, let me know in the voicemail as well. Make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen and follow along with What's Gobby Cooking on Instagram and Twitter. And for more recipes, check out my website, whatsgobbycooking.com. See you guys very soon.